It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. America is a republic, of course, but one author says it's coming dangerously close to becoming a totalitarian government. He says, under the guise of diversity, inclusivity, equity, and other egalitarian jargon, the left creates powerful mechanisms for controlling thought um, and discourse and marginalizes dissenters of evil. If that's true, of course, it's a pretty ominous assertion and scary for people of faith. Rod Dreher is the senior editor of The American Conservative and a New York Times bestselling author. Um, That quote is from his book, Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And he joins me now from Budapest. Welcome, Rod. Hey, Lauren. It's great to be here six hours away. (laughs) I got to ask you, what are you doing in Budapest? I've been working here this summer as a visiting fellow for the Danube Institute, a think tank here in the Hungarian capital. And I've been traveling around Central Europe uh, this summer, meeting people, interviewing them, promoting Live Not By Lies, which is in either now or soon will be in most of the uh, languages of this region. And I got to tell you, to be here in a country that suffered under communism for 40 years and to talk to people who lived through it is, well, it confirms the thesis of my book, Live Not By Lies, but it also makes me even more anxious about where we are headed in the U.S. Well, this is this is interesting because why do you call it, I mean, why do you say that this is so ominously close? Because one of the things that, um, uh, you know, people say, you know, all right, things are not perfect in America, but, you know, we're far from being a totalitarian government. What do you say to that? Well, I tell you, I I first got the idea for this book a few years ago when I started hearing from people who had fled to America from communist countries saying that the things that were happening in America today reminded them of what they left behind years ago. And I thought that was really extreme because you look around, we don't have gulags, we don't have Stalin, we don't have secret police. But the more I listened to them, the more I realized that they really were onto something. And we were looking at the emergence of something I call soft totalitarianism. It's totalitarian, but it's a new kind. It's much more like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World than it is Orwell's 1984. And I'll give you some examples. We're talking about cancel culture, for example, the, the idea that people have to be afraid that they can lose their job if they say the wrong thing, something that might have been fine five minutes ago now can get you canceled. And uh, things like that, the renaming of public places, the taking down of statues and on and on and on. These are the sort of things that happened in communist countries. Now, it doesn't mean that we're definitely going to be a totalitarian country. But one of the things that hides the totalitarian nature of what's happening is the fact that it's not mostly coming from the government. It's coming from big business, academia, the media, and other major institutions of American life. And it's happening within a liberal democratic society. If you talk to somebody, Lauren, who has lost their job uh, because they offended against the woke militants, it feels like totalitarianism to them. One last thing I should say to clarify my terms, uh, a totalitarian government uh, within political theory is one in which only one ideology is allowed 
and every aspect of life becomes ideological. Uh, this summer, being here in Hungary, I was talking to some Hungarians who can't understand why this is happening in America and why we're letting it happen. And I showed them a little video that was on Blue's Clues. I, I can remember showing Blue's Clues to my kids when they were little. Very mm -hmm. popular American kids show. Well, this uh, Blue's Clues had a pride parade clip, an animated drag queen singing about all the different kinds of rainbow families. The Hungarians couldn't believe this, this was happening. This was being shown to American kids. And I told them, I said, you don't understand. Every aspect of life that can be made to, uh, to serve LGBT pride is being made to even cereal boxes for children's breakfast cereal. So this is what I mean by the soft totalitarian nature of it. It's creeping up on us and, uh, and we are losing our freedoms slowly but surely. And if we keep thinking that we're going to see Stalin coming over the ridge, we're going to miss what's really happening. Are you blaming the LGBT cu um, culture on this? I mean, is that, is that where the real culture war is? Oh, no. I, well, I think that the wokeness, broadly speaking, it has to do with identity politics, uh, with race in particular, and with LGBT, gender, gender identity, that sort of thing. These tend to be the, the areas of contention. And what makes it totalitarian, uh, to my mind, is the fact that you are not allowed to dissent. Uh, even liberals, there's a case going on in New York right now where Maude Marin, uh, a legal aid lawyer, a white woman, legal aid lawyer, who has um, views, uh, she was opposed to whatever they were going to do in New York City schools. Her colleagues at legal aid accused her of being a racist, even though she spent her entire career defending poor people, including many poor people of color. They denounced her as a racist and drove her out of the, out of the organization. Uh, why? She's, a, she's on the left, but that's how wokeness goes. You cannot disagree. Any dissent, even dissent from a, a liberal or a left liberal position is not tolerated. Give me some more evidence of things that are going on. In fact, let's, let's talk about, you know, more of the thing that that's kind of in the front uh, frontal lobe of, you know, a lot of conservatives, which is the uh, critical race theory. Um, sure. Well, you and I were raised uh, under the ideas of Dr. Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, that people should be judged not by the color of their skin or by the content of their character. Right. Uh, this was a tremendous leap forward for America, I believe, and I'm, I'm sure you do too. But critical race theory takes a more Marxist approach. Uh, and I hate people to use the word Marxist loosely, but uh, when I studied for my book, The Bolshevik Revolution, that's exactly what happened with them. For the Bolsheviks, uh, the world was divided into good and evil. Then the good people were the workers and the peasants. The evil people were the capitalist and the middle class, the bourgeoisie. And according to Bolshevik theory, you can tell who was good and who was evil, not by what they actually did or what they believed, but by their class identity. Similarly, with critical race theory, you know, everything is divided into this crude racial um, characterization. Uh, Ibram X. Kendi, the, the guru of CRT, has uh, said that whenever he sees any kind of discrepancy uh, in, in, a, in a social institution or, or any kind of discrepancy in outcome, that is evidence of racism. Uh, I think that this is very crude, it's wrong, and it, it's something that comes straight out of Marxist analysis. And this is the kind of thing that you can't argue with because 
as the Marxists had it in Bolshevik Russia, if you disagree, then you are on the side of evil. You're not just wrong, you're evil. And I see the same thing happening in discussions about CRT. You know, like this, you talk about, it's, it's not just, it's, it, where it's happening though is in the schools. And you talk about this based on sort of, this is sort of psychological manipulation. This is not, this is not you know, a, a crime of you know, action, it's a, it's a thought crime. Right. 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 Yeah. But but it what it does is, though, is it it indoctrinates kids into accepting this ideology and only this ideology. Uh, and it, it I think it really does mess with their minds. Um, and also the whole LGBT gender ideology. This is working on them, too. There is a reason, Lauren, that in Great Britain, they saw a four thousand percent increase in the number of teenagers and children being referred for transgender therapy, for transition therapy, in, over a, in only a decade. This is wow. coming from somewhere. And uh, I, I think that we need to listen to these people who came to this country, to our country, from communism, who understood what it means to have only one ideology ruling your country, to allow no dissent, and to take over every institution. I think, Lauren, as I mentioned earlier, that one of the, the characteristics of this weird kind of new totalitarianism is that it really doesn't involve the government, or the government is at least at this point a minor player. But when you have big business, sports, media, academia, entertainment, uh, all of them on the same playing field in terms of wokeness, that really does change a society. You know, you're talking about um, evil and to me, that brings up the, the, the idea that there's a spiritual power behind the movement. There is a spiritual evil at work in the world. I mean, do you see it that way at all? You know, I do. And I, I get this from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was probably the greatest anti-communist dissident of the 20th century, won the Nobel Prize. It was uh, from his work that I took the title, Live Not By Lies. And Solzhenitsyn said this. He said that um, when he went into prison, the Soviets put him into the gulag that he learned that the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of every human heart. It doesn't right. run between you know, classes, or we can say it doesn't run between races or heterosexuals, homosexuals. It runs down the middle of every human heart because every one of us is a sinner in need of redemption. And uh, I, I think that the church, frankly, is the only answer to racial hatred, to class hatred, to hating people, for whatever their characteristics are. But uh, we seem to have entered into a, a period in American public life where a lot of people, and not only on the left, some on the right are doing this too, uh, tend to are, are seeking power by teaching us to hate others. You know, one of the things that is happening, though you know, is that, that you know the society is sort of marginalizing Christianity. I mean, it's the number one um, persecuted religion in the world not just in, you know, is, is our Christians, but in, in America, the persecution takes on a much different tone. Um, it is the soft power. It is the legal um, going after Christians for, you know, not baking the cake for, you know, same-sex wedding or not wanting to do a website for a, a same-sex uh, wedding or um, many other kinds of things where it's not, like you say, it's not the government. It is this sort of well. In many ways, there's civic governments at work here, right? Um, but I, does it? Does it? What does it spell for Christians if that's really where, you know, the, the pushback can come from? 
Yeah, thank you for asking that because that's that's the second half of, of my book, Live Not By Lies. The people I, I interviewed in Central Europe and in Russia in the former communist countries, I came over here and interviewed people, Christians who had lived through it, some of whom went to prison for their faith. And their constant message is, get ready. You cannot rest on the thought, on the hope that it won't happen in America. We can pray it doesn't, we can try to fight it, but we have to prepare ourselves for that possibility. Well, what does that mean? I dedicated the book, Lauren, to a Catholic priest named Father Tomislav Kolakovich. He died, I think, in 1990, but in 1943, he was living in Zagreb, Croatia, doing work against the Nazis. He got a tip that the Gestapo was coming for him, and he, uh, he fled the country and went to his mother's homeland, Slovakia. He began to teach in a Catholic university there. What he told his students in 1943 was, look, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war. The bad news is the Soviets are going to be ruling this country when it's all over. And the first thing they're going to do is persecute the church. So what Father Kolakovich did was start putting together these prayer groups of serious young Catholic Christians, because almost all the Christians in that country were Catholic. And they mm -hmm. spread these prayer groups all over the country within two years. The bishops, Catholic bishops of that country warned him. They said, Father, stop alarming people. It will never happen here. But Father Kolakovich knew the communist mindset because he had studied to be a missionary in the Soviet Union, and he kept doing his work. Lauren, sure enough, in 1948, when the Iron Curtain fell over Czechoslovakia, the first thing the communists did was attack the church and persecute the church. That network of believers that Father Kolakovich built up and he had been preparing for years for the persecution, they became the backbone of the underground church and the only serious resistance to communism for the next 40 years. I believe, Lauren, we are living in a Kolakovich moment in America today. And believers, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, whatever, have got to use the liberty we have now to lay these networks down and prepare for persecution. Okay, I want to take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back talking with Rod Dreher and his book, Live Not By Lies. We'll be right back. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Okay, we're back with um, author, uh, best-selling author Rod Dreher and talking about his book, Live Not By Lies. This is a manual for Christian dissidents. And um, <laughs> Rod, that... That, that image when you say dissidents, it's not about the people who are, it's the people who are actually fighting against almost spiritual forces that are at work in this world, in this country, really. Um, the woke ideology, the you know, CRT, all of these things that have become religions in themselves. Um, how do Christians kind of stand their ground against these things? Well, we have to stand on scripture, absolutely. And uh, we have to understand our Bible, and we also have to study the examples of other countries and cr what, how Christians have stood against this sort of temptation in, uh, in other times and places. One of the things I mentioned in the book is the case of uh, Franz Jägerstädter. He was a farmer, an Austrian Catholic farmer who lived in a little farm village in the Austrian Alps. And when, he, when, when Nazism came to town in the 1930s, uh, he was the only one in that entire village, even though everybody went to church, he was the only one who saw Hitler as an antichrist, and he was the only one who resisted. Eventually, the Nazis killed him. He died a martyr like Bonhoeffer did. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of the things I, I say to my audience is, is what was it about the way that Franz Jägerstater lived that allowed him to see what nobody else in that town could see about the Nazis and see that they were race haters and that they were, they were anti-God. Um, we need to figure that out and live that way. I'll tell you another example. I love this story so much. You were talking about you know, principalities and powers and fighting spiritual evil. There's an interview in the book I did with this Russian Orthodox dissident named Alexander Ogorodnikov. He was a late dissident. He became a Christian out of a communist family in the early 70s, and the Soviets put him into prison in 78. They threw him into death row, um, even though he didn't have a death sentence, because they wanted him to be among the hardest of the hard in Russia. They wanted to teach him a lesson because he apostatized from communism. Well, he began to witness to all these people, uh, all the, the, these hard criminals in Russia, and uh, eventually many of them came to Christ. Well, they finally put him in solitary confinement to make him stop doing that, and he began to despair of God's, God's will, God's providence for him. He told me that God sent an angel to him one night, uh, and the angel showed him a vision of a man being led uh, a prisoner with his hands cuffed being led to his execution. This vision kept happening night after night, but there was a different person led each night. Eventually, uh, Ogorodnikov understood that the Lord was showing him men who had been condemned to death, but who were going to heaven to be with the Lord because they had repented of their sins and accepted Christ. Ogorodnikov is crying when he told me this story. He said that I knew that my suffering was not in vain that the Lord had a purpose for me there in that prison to lead these men to him. I tell that story because we Christians have got to get ready to be, um, to, to suffer for our faith. Our faith means nothing if we're not willing to suffer for it. And what I want to do with this book is use these testimonies by people who had to suffer immensely for their faith to teach us what uh, this dimension of the faith that we are going to have to learn as Christians who've had it very comfortable. A lot of, we've had freedom, we've been comfortable. Those days are coming to an end and we've gotta be ready. The thing that comes to mind here for me is the idea of false idols, false religion. Uh, and I think a lot of Americans, particularly those who have sort of been breathing the air of Christianity for the last you know, half century or more, um, that they don't understand the lure of false idols um, they, they don't know their own heart, so they don't know what is their deep, um, their, 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 their deep trust, and it's, it's, it's something other than God. And this is, I think, a problem, even for people in the church, particularly people in the church. I mean, I just had a very disturbing um, uh, news from um, one of the very pronounced um, um, who was let go of a church, and his wife was, you know, the singer and doing praise music, and and, she, and because of that, um, she says, well, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Mm. I mean, and, and this is like, well, what did you really believe in before? Did you, yeah. you, you know, did you believe that God owed you a career, you know, on Broadway? Did God owe you this? I think most Americans lulled by the security of, of very pampered lives. I mean, when you go to other parts of the, of the world and you see how people lived in such destitute poverty, and conditions, you realize how wealthy Americans really are. So is it that, that we just don't understand and we've never even tried to even um, venture into this idea of false idols, that we don't even know what it is. So that when something else comes like you know, false religion or CRT or woke ideology, 
they don't understand what that really is. That's right. And we have been so, uh, we treated religion, we treated Christianity like a middle-class uh, therapeutic uh, method, a way of feeling good about, uh, about ourselves and feeling comfortable about ourselves rather than treating Christianity like the prophetic call it is. What did Bonhoeffer say when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die? That's what these people in Eastern Europe and Russia, these Christians, had to face literally the possibility of death for their faith. And uh, one of them told me, he said, listen, Rod, don't get the idea that most Christians over here did the right thing. Most Christians conformed. Most Christians everywhere right. will conform. But right. those who don't want to conform have better prepare themselves now while we have the freedom to do so. You know, you talk about this idea. There's a secular social justice out there um, as that's part of the sort of CRT and um, and woke ideology, but this is something that's also infiltrating the Christian church. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I warn particularly for black churches because racism is such a huge part of the culture of, you know, fighting against it is a huge part of the culture of the black community uh, in America. But you can also make fighting against it a religion in itself, right? It becomes a false idol. Yeah, and we've seen this too on the right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a conservative, so I, I can talk about my side. Is uh, I have seen far too many people on my side, Christians, lose themselves in politics and and think that they are defending the church and fighting for Jesus when in fact they're just fighting for their political interest. And I, I don't say that we should be disentangled from politics. I mean, our God is a, a God of incarnation, and we have to fight for justice in the world. But God's idea of justice is not necessarily the idea of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And uh, I want to make sure that I'm always on God's side. Uh, I, you know, I remember when my book, Live Not By Lies, first came out, it was published September of last year, just before the election. A man at my church in Baton Rouge, where I live, uh, took the copy of a book to a Bible study he, he went to with some uh, Protestant folks and said, hey, everybody, you need to read this because people, Christians who lived under communism say we need persecution here. And everybody in his Bible study said, oh, don't worry about it. Trump's going to get reelected. That's going to take care of that problem. <laughs> this, this is so short-sighted. Even if, if Donald Trump were a philosopher king who was the best possible president we could hope for, this movement that we're facing, this wokeness, this uh, breakdown of society, of the family, the, the collapse of Christianity, this is all way beyond the capacity of any political leader to deal with. We're not going to vote ourselves, Lauren, out of this crisis. You know, and I want to tell people, too, because one of the things that happens is that you, you, they, they, they hear it, but they don't believe it. And one of the things I was, I was watching, I was watching um, Shrek, Innocent childhood, you know, funny, you know, animated movie. And the original Shrek, there was, uh, there was the second Shrek, but there, you know, the, the wolf that is in Granny's costume. Remember, have um, you seen Shrek? Right. Um, okay, I haven't seen Shrek. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. I will explain <laughs> to you. There's a wolf that's basically from the Red, uh, Little Red Riding Hood story. And the wolf is in, wanders around in a, uh, you know, uh, in a in a nightcap and a in a nightgown, you know, like you know, he's a he's a he's a he's Granny, but the original Shrek, the woman called him gender confused, Wolf. Mm -hmm. 
I was just watching it on TV and they took out the word gender and they just said confused. It went like, why is that? Oh my gosh. See, and they're re-editing things to change the past. This is classic totalitarianism where they, they purge history books, they purge art. Stalin did this. He would, uh, they would uh, airbrush out of photographs, uh, communists who had been close to Stalin but got on his bad side. Suddenly they changed history. And if you'll remember from uh, Orwell's 1984, that was Winston Smith's job in the Ministry of Information to go back into the archives and to change history in, in, the, in the newspapers to make it fit the current party line. You know, if we can't stand in truth, Lauren, we're done for. I, I write in my book that, and live not by lies, that Hannah Arendt, the great uh, philosopher, political philosopher yeah. of the 20th century, after the end of, the, of World War II, she went back to try to do a study of how it was that totalitarianism, both Nazism and communism, took over Russia and Germany. And she found that those societies had a few things in common that made them susceptible to totalitarian, to totalitarianism, sorry. The most important thing was mass loneliness and atomization. People mm. just didn't know each other. A second related one was that they were alienated from institutions in society and they had lost faith in institutions. A third uh, aspect of it was they like to transgress for the sake of transgressing. They just want to tear things down just to see what would happen. And uh, another one, too, is they quit caring about the truth. They only cared to listen to things that already told them what they already knew or confirmed what they already knew. None of these things uh, mean that you're definitely going to become a totalitarian society, but they, they're fertile ground for the, uh, for the seeds of totalitarianism to be planted in. And I got to tell you, these, all these factors are right here with us right now in a way they haven't been in our lifetimes. This is a really dangerous moment for America. This is, um, and how do you turn it around? I want, before I let you go, because I know you got to get going. Um, I think of the schools and I think that's kind of where it's really being, um, being, being, being propagated. I mean, this is the, this, the indoctrination is very real in schools. It is. How do you turn that around? Well, I, I don't know for sure that we can turn it around completely, but we've got to try. And the first thing we can do is follow Solzhenitsyn's advice and live not by lies. We have to get busy standing up and making our voices heard. Uh, this is what I found out in talking to these people who lived under communism, is that when one man or one woman would stand up and refuse to uh, to be coerced by these lies, it would give courage to others. We've got to be prepared to suffer for the truth, Lauren. And if that means losing a job, if that means losing friends, then so be it. We have got to be more afraid of not telling the truth and more afraid of God's judgment than we are afraid of men. Yeah. That's the only way that we, we stand to turn this around. Uh, there's this woman, I'll, and I'll end on this. I know we're running out of time. But this woman, Maud Merritt, I mentioned to you, I listened to this podcast she did with Barry Weiss. Again, she's very much on the secular left, but she's been driven out of legal aid because of, of wokeness. She said at the end of her podcast, and this just brought tears to my eyes, she was getting really weepy about how she said, I had to take this stand so my children would know who their mother was and know what their mother did uh, when she was put to the test. And then she goes on to say at the end that she had read this book by Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies. She said, I know Rod Dreher and I don't agree on politics. He's pro-life, I'm pro-choice, et cetera. But 
I love the stories that these people in Eastern Europe told about taking a stand and being courageous and standing for the truth, no matter what it cost you. And I, I got to tell you, Lauren, that really touched my heart because one of the things I learned in doing this work is that uh, I learned this from the people in Eastern Europe. They said that so few people have courage to stand up against totalitarianism that when you find someone who does have that courage, even if you don't agree with that person on religion or politics or whatever, you better take that person close to your heart because you're going to need each other. Courage is the most important virtue right now. Wow, that's amazing. Well, Rod, I want to thank you so much. And again, the book is called um, Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. Um, Rod Dreer, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And I should mention in full disclosure, I probably should have mentioned at the top, that we were actually Templeton, Cambridge, fellows together in uh, 2009, a few years ago. That's when we first met. And I've always been impressed by your work. And, uh, but thank you so much for being on, on my thank podcast. Thank you, Lauren. God bless you. God bless you too. And thank you all for listening to uh, Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to this show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.